Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing ovarian cysts and tumours. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording and any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. So welcome back to Take Orally and uh, once again joined with uh, Dr Anna Richmond. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hello. Still teaching fellow in... uh, Obs and Gyne. Yep. And um, we're now going to have a chat about ovarian cysts and tumours. Um, again, this is a very broad topic, so we're going to focus mostly on the acute presentation of That's ovarian right. cysts, and we'll have a brief touch on ovarian malignancy yes. and how we might differentiate it from cysts. Um, so ovarian cysts, as we already had a chat as we were setting up, can be difficult to diagnose. Um, what sort of cysts are there? So... Globally, so there are different types of ovarian cysts. The most common ones that we see are benign ovarian cysts, um, especially in. Well, I'm talking about like the acute presentation here. So mm. This is the thing. So the most of women that present acutely with an ovarian cyst, the most top common type of those are benign. So either these would be something called functional cysts, which are essentially simple, uh, filled with fluid, um, and most of the time actually go away on their own. But when they're particularly large, then they may present problems with pain um, or rupture or bleeding, which we'll kind of come to later. Um, Another one is a dermoid cyst, which is one of those really strange cysts that develops from the totipotent germ cells in the ovary. So these are the ones that contain teeth and hair, uh, those weird ones that everyone remembers. Um, There's ones endometriomas, so women with endometriosis can also develop a collection of old blood uh, in an ovarian cyst, and that's called an endometrioma. Mm. So those women... Those women don't tend to present actually kind of um, acutely with pain, but um, have other symptoms of endometriosis, like cyclical pelvic pain or heavy bleeding, um, and may then have a scan and it's identified on those. Um, There's things called borderline cysts, which um, are kind of, they're not cancerous cysts, but they have some features that may be slightly suspicious and so require a bit of more follow-up. And then we have the cancerous um, uh, cysts as well. Um, And of the cancerous cysts, there's two types that we kind of broadly think about. In younger women, we're thinking about uh, malignant germ cell tumours, of which there are several types. And in older women, generally, uh, the most common type of an ovarian uh, cancer, really, is an um, epithelial um, tumour, which makes up 90% of the uh, ovarian cancers, actually, that you see. So the epithelial, by far and away, are most common? Yes, but tend not to present acutely, so we'll touch on (laughs) that later on. Yes, absolutely. So... In terms of um, any differentials, um, if you have a lady with a pelvic mass, is there anything else that can cause a pelvic mass that that isn't an ovarian uh, mass? Yep. So actually for the vast majority of ovarian cysts, they don't don't tend to present with a mass. They can do because ovarian cysts can get incredibly large. You know, I've I've seen one operated on before where the woman looked full-term pregnant and had to have, you know, a complete ziffy sternum to pubis midline laparotomy to remove the thing. Um, so they can get enormous, um, but some of the time, most ovarian cysts wouldn't actually present as the mass. Um, they may present with other things, which we'll maybe come to. Um, 
But other things that if you did find a mass, other things you need to be thinking about is things like uh, fibroids arising from the uterus, which again can become very large sometimes. So you might find that's palpable abdominally or palpable on a um, pelvic examination. Um, could be um, bowel or bladder related as well. Um, so women who have got um, a urinary retention I've seen present as a pelvic mass and it was actually urine in the bladder. Um, uh, or bowel masses. Don't forget pregnancy, that tends to cause a pelvic mass. Does tend to, yeah. Um, and it can arise from the pelvis itself, so bony lesions that can actually arise from the pelvis mm. may, may present as a pelvic mass, but they're obviously rarer to find. Mm. And as we were setting up, you mentioned um, ovarian cyst accidents, which is a term I haven't actually heard of before. So what is an ovarian cyst accident? So that is essentially, um, it's an umbrella term given to um, an acute presentation of an ovarian cyst, which encompasses either rupture of a cyst, hemorrhage either into the cyst or out of the cyst, um, or ovarian torsion. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, so it's probably worthwhile mentioning at this point that ovarian cysts that are less than five centimetres don't tend to cause much in the way of symptoms at all. Ones that are more than five centimetres might start causing symptoms as they have a bit of a pressure effect. So women might kind of describe uh, either a fullness or just a, a vague sense of pain in the, mm. the lower abdomen um, without having that kind of acute presentation of pain. Whereas if you're thinking of um, a torsion um, or a rupture or hemorrhage, then it would be an acute uh, pain that people are describing, even if they had some vague discomfort previously. Mm. Um, and ovarian um, torsion, obviously, is the one that we kind of worry most about in that subset, um, although hemorrhage can also be equally problematic if uh, it can be life-threatening bleeding from an ovarian cyst also, but torsion is the one that we worry about. Um, and generally that five centimetre cut-off is important because that's the reason why we kind of get more excited, not just because of the symptoms, but actually a cyst that's less than five centimetres is unlikely to make the ovary taut or is unlike, less likely to have a rupture or hemorrhage. A cyst is more than five centimetres, then it's more likely that's going to happen. Mm. Within reason. Within reason. But I'm just thinking if a cyst gets incredibly large and there's not enough space in the abdomen, it's then not it's, gonna it's twist not going to twist. <laughs> Um, but when it gets kind of bigger than five centimetres and heavier, then it's that yeah. point that you're more likely to then see um, torsion. Okay. And um, with torsion, is it uh, is there a similar sort of time limit as there is in testicular torsion? So, you know, you've got six hours to, to get uh, operated on to save the, the testes. Is it similar? So I'd say, yes, it is. The problem with ovarian torsion is the diagnosis is really quite difficult to make. Mm. So whereas, obviously, with a testicular torsion, then it's kind of... It's um, external, you it's can external. have a look. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> it's much easier to make the diagnosis. Whereas with ovarian torsion, it can be quite difficult sometimes to differentiate, um, you know, is this a true surgical emergency? Or actually, is there something else going on that may be gynecological? So it could, you know, the difference between the symptoms with an ovarian torsion and rupture and hemorrhage can be very similar mm. um, and also are we thinking also about surgical pathologies like appendicitis yeah. for example so it can be quite difficult to pick apart um, and often we need an ultrasound scan to know is there an ovarian cyst there at all yeah. like knowing that ovarian torsion will normally only happen if there is a cyst 
So ultrasound um, is often required, and that generally takes a bit of time, doesn't it, to, to get. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if we're suspecting torsion, we do need to take them to theatre to investigate that. But generally, because the diagnosis is quite challenging, mm. it does tend to take longer than the six hours you mentioned, which I didn't know was the yeah. time for testicular torsion. But. Mm. Okay, so... Um, your patient with an ovarian cyst accident, what symptoms are they going to be complaining of then? So they will present classically with um, unilateral acute severe lower abdominal pelvic pain, mm -hmm. which um, may be associated with other symptoms like, um, especially in the case of ovarian torsion, nausea and vomiting. So you can see that actually there's a bit of crossover with appendicitis, which is why it can be quite <laughs> challenging. Um, and it may be, um, this is her first presentation, so she may not know that she's got an ovarian cyst, which makes it even more difficult. If someone comes having known they've got a cyst, then obviously yeah. we'll be kind of our, we'll be more heightened to trying to, thinking that it's more likely related to the cyst causing the pain. But women will walk around with a cyst and have no symptoms, so it may be their first presentation. Mm. Um, but it can also be kind of a bit vague as well. So they may have, um, it may not be acute, but it may be kind of slower in onset. The pain sometimes, especially with torsion, may kind of strangely come and go um, as the ovary torts and untorts. Oh, right, okay. And then you think, oh, it's all fine, she's fine again. Oh, and then she's not. What <laughs> on earth is going on? So that is something to bear in mind. Um, they may present, if there's hemorrhage from the cyst, then they may have symptoms of a fall or in drop of, drop of haemoglobin. Yeah. Um, although that is more unusual, it's important to check the full blood count, which we'll come on to, because they may present with collapse, for example. But that is kind of more unusual for that to be the case. Okay. Um, so what then, so moving on to our examinations, our investigations, mm -hmm. what are we going to be doing to, to help with our diagnosis? So an examination... Um, it may differentiate for you what's happening. So obviously you want to do a routine abdominal examination, find out where she's tender. If we're considering that this could be a an ovarian um, cyst as a cause for her abdominal pain, mm. um, if we're talking about this acute presentation, then doing a bimanual pelvic examination may help you because you could find that she's very tender um, unilaterally, either in the right or left um, adnexa, depending on where the cyst is. And you may feel a mass, but... You may not, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a cyst, so that may not help us um, a great deal. Um, basic investigations, um, we, I mentioned a full blood count, so you definitely want to do that. Just You probably do that for anyone coming with abdominal pain anyway. But if you had a female um, who then has got you know, a drop in haemoglobin and with this type of pain, you may think, could it be hemorrhage from an ovarian cyst? Um, and then we've already touched on earlier that an ultrasound is really, really key um, because it's difficult to make the diagnosis um, with you know other possible differentials. But actually, having an ultrasound of the pelvis, looking at the ovaries, if you then see an ovarian cyst, then you know you've got a lot more evidence of what what could be going on. Mm. Um, an ultrasound can sometimes help us with diagnosing ovarian torsion because they can look at the blood flow to the ovary and actually if the blood flow is uh, is diminished mm. then that can be very helpful to making that diagnosis. Excellent. And so you um, you already mentioned about uh, appendicitis and um, it's one of the reasons why in a previous podcast I said I say to students it's a lot easier if your patient is a male because you know there's, there's 
only so much it can be if you add in the gynae, uh, the, the gynae organs as well, it, it does complicate matters. How do you then, how are we going to get to the difference between is this a, a right ovarian cyst or is it a, a appendicitis that, that's causing our patient's pain? It can be very difficult. I mean, I think, um, obviously, there's that classical classification of appendicitis, isn't there? With umbilical down, umbilical down, yeah. moving to right ileate fossa, um, fever, nausea and vomiting. But there is crossover with that ovarian pathology. So sometimes, as I said, the pain can be kind of poorly localised and like as to J, a vague fullness to begin with, and that could be easily confused with periumbilical pain that then moves to the right ileate fossa. Um, patients with ovarian torsion often complain of nausea and vomiting. In fact, that's quite a prominent symptom, but also an appendicitis. Um, they may have low-grade pyrexia, especially if the ovaries taut and is becoming necrotic and there's an inflammatory response. They may have blood markers that suggest a raised uh, CRP or even a white cell count in a similar way to appendicitis. So you can see how it can be difficult. And then often the ultrasound is, becomes the defining investigation. Um, or uh, the laparoscopy when uh, the surgeons have been sufficiently concerned that they need to take the patient to theatre and actually when they get in there it turns out there's an ovarian cyst that's not um, that unusual mm. for that to happen which is why I think um, if um, a surgeon is taking um, a, a female with abdominal pain to theatre we often see on the consent forms that they may consent for um, ovarian cystectomies as well as appendicectomies because when they if they get in there and find it then at least the patient's being adequate well hopefully adequately prepared for that eventuality and would that cystectomy then be done by the general surgeon um so we get called or you get called in the okay <laughs> and then they say can i do it <laughs> <laughs> can you watch me do it <laughs> um yeah so Excellent. Someone does it. Somebody does it. Somebody will do it. Um, okay, so I'm guessing the, the answer is, is going to be what depends on the cause, but management of ovarian cyst accidents, uh, what are we going to do? So if you're thinking that um, there's a, if you're concerned about torsion, then that patient needs to go to theatre for laparoscopy and um, detorsion ovarian cystectomy. Um, Sometimes in those cases, the pay, if the if it's gone, if, especially if it's gone on for a long time, when we get there, the ovary is ischemic or necrotic, and actually she needs an oophorectomy to manage that, which is what you're trying to avoid, isn't it, with the torsion? But sometimes it does happen. But it requires surgical intervention. Likewise, if you're concerned that there's hemorrhage from a cyst and the patient's hemodynamically compromised, dropping her hemoglobin, that needs to go to theatre to be dealt with. But if it's the patient's actually pretty well. So let's say we think she's probably got an ovarian cyst, maybe there's a bit of free fluid in the pelvis, um, there is a cyst there, but maybe it's not very large. Um, maybe actually there's no cyst there, but she's got free fluid because it's ruptured, and that's why she's got pain. Um, and she's actually otherwise hemodynamically stable with no evidence of torsion, then a lot of the time it can be managed conservatively. Um, especially if we find um, if the cyst is obviously still present, it's a small cyst, less than five centimetres, then we would be inclined to manage conservatively with analgesia and it will get better on its own. Um, and in those cases, we would normally arrange a follow-up scan in a few months' time, at which point you would hope the cyst had gone, but you want to make sure that the cyst hasn't increased in size to that kind of magic five centimetres, in which case you may go ahead and arrange an elective procedure to remove the cyst. Um, 
and yeah that's and that's all really and mm. then obviously um if the pain is significant is the other reason so if somebody even if you think they're you know they're okay they're hemodynamically stable but the pain is really significant unmanageable mm. then in those cases we may take them as a, an emergency case to remove assist as well cool um and with these benign ovarian cysts, is there any family history link? You know, if your sister has them, are you more likely to have them? If your mother does, are you more likely to have them? Um, there may be with endometriosis. There may yeah. be a family kind of uh, link to that. Um, I'm not sure with dermoid cysts, actually. I suspect mm. the answer to that is probably yes, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, um, and certainly with, if we can go on to malignant cysts, then oh, yeah, there is an inherited... That was um, my thinking, component. yeah. But these women are not going to present normally in that same way that no. we've uh, discussed. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of leads us on. So we'll, we'll park ovarian cysts and ovarian cyst accidents to one side now. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll touch on uh, malignant ovarian tumours. Um, so these are... I mean, these are the ones that you, you hear about anecdotally. I was ignored for a year, these vague symptoms. I was told it was IBS. I was told it was that. And then I was found out that it was extensive ovarian cancer. This, it's a difficult diagnosis to make, isn't it? It's just, yeah, because it can be uh, vague symptoms or in the early stages, no symptoms. And so generally, um, because the pelvis and the abdomen is obviously is quite a large space, so actually for ovarian cysts that are malignant tend not to rupture, bleed or tort. So people don't get an acute onset of pain with them. And when they present with symptoms, it's generally kind of quite advanced, mm. unfortunately. Um, and these general vague symptoms, bloating, loss of appetite, um, maybe weight loss, uh, maybe vague lower abdominal kind of fullness maybe not exactly pain. So yeah, it can be um, sometimes a challenge, although I suspect that because um, there's more of a, a recognition of the yeah. fact that ovarian cancer presents with vague symptoms, and so there is more of a, um, yeah, a recognition, so you're more likely, therefore, to think about it, and if you think about it, you're more likely to investigate it earlier. So mm. hopefully we kind of hear less stories like the one that you mentioned. Mm. And um, especially then if they know about their family history, you know, this is just like my mother or my sister or my auntie or so on. Yeah, I mean, if um, you've got a significant family history, then you're thinking obviously of conditions um, like BRCA, so mm. the breast and ovarian cancer um, inherited uh, genes. Um, and yeah, of course, even if you haven't got that in your family, but if someone is coming to you maybe as the GP, oh, my mother had these exact same symptoms and she had an ovarian cancer, clearly it's going to be like more on the forefront of your mind, if only to you know give some reassurance to yeah. that woman. Cool. Um, so then in terms of how we're going to investigate, what are we going to do if we're thinking ovarian malignancy? So the first thing that is often done is um, a CA125. So that is, it's a tumour marker which is uh, not very specific, so it can be raised in a number of situations, but if you have a woman with all of these symptoms and then you find an elevated CA125, that's going to prompt you to arrange additional investigations like an ultrasound scan or a CT scan of her abdomen. And then from there, that's going to give us more information. Mm. But by doing that, we don't, um, you would, you arrange the simple blood test 
first before arranging those kind of more significant investigations mm. because actually if somebody has got a normal CA125 it's very unlikely that they're going to have a malignant ovarian cyst. Okay but if it is raised there could be other reasons for it that aren't ovarian. Yeah, Malignancy. so it can raise in a number of different conditions that just happen to irritate the perite peritoneum, right down to someone who's menstruating, can have an elevated CA125. Someone that's got endometriosis the other, is the other classical one, that their CA125 is, is raised. Uh, and we can, do, we can use other rarer tumour markers if we've got a younger patient and we're thinking of those rarer um, germ yeah, cells. that's right. So if we're thinking of these rare germ cell tumours, so if a woman is less than 35 years of age and she has a complex ovarian mass so by that I don't mean like these simple fluid filled cysts but ones that have got solid components or they're bilateral um, or irregular or there's something about it then in those women um, arranging tumour markers like HCG the pregnancy hormone can be produced by some ovarian uh, cysts um, alpha fetoprotein and uh, lactate dehydrogenase can be produced by the cyst so you do those in conjunction with your imaging um, and then how would we then manage our patients to so say these tumour markers are coming back uh, raised, unfortunately, we've got a strong suspicion, how do we then manage our patient with um, potential ovarian malignancy? Um, so they would need to have um, some kind of imaging, so mm. that may be an ultrasound scan, but if we're thinking then this is a malignancy, they need a CT scan, chest, abdomen, pelvis for staging of a potential cancer. Um, and then some kind of biopsy to confirm the a histological diagnosis. So often with um, with women, particularly with epithelial tumours, which I mentioned is the most common type, they develop ascites, and so it may be that we can take some of that fluid and send it for cytology, and that gives us um, you know a better idea of of what's going on. And then there's an MDT approach to um, obviously with any uh, cancer. Um, where the best option and form for management. So it could be that surgery is indicated in earlier stages of the disease, or it could be um, going into you know seeing an oncologist mm. in later stages. Okay, uh, and the surgery in the early stage with that oophorectomy, salpingectomy, what, what, what would, so, is that usually what happens? So if somebody had a, a proven ovarian cancer and we were operating on them, then it would be um, a full pelvis, so it would be a hysterectomy um, and bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. So, so all of it? Yeah, so um, uterus, cervix, both ovaries, both tubes, um, and then there may be some lymph node um, removal, mm. um, remembering that the drainage of the ovaries is to the paraortic nodes, so that's what you need to be looking for that, and maybe doing some sampling of paraortic nodes, um, or um, removal of lymph nodes there if you're concerned about spread. Uh, but this is a whistle-stop tool of ovarian cancer. This <laughs> is not meant to be like in its entirety at all, but kind of to touch on it really, to show how, it dif how the symptoms of presentation are different from um, the acute presentation yeah. that we see on the gynaecology ward with these other kind of more benign ovarian cysts. Right. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was the Take Orally Ovarian Cyst and Tumors podcast. You can find the blog entry and take visually for this episode at www.takeorally.com. You can also find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to us on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.